Hey, so uh, I, I like, sometimes when I, when I have some free time, I like to just sit down and read, and uh, it's kind of my closet nerd side. And, uh, and yesterday I had some free time on my hands yesterday afternoon, so I, I went to Starbucks, and I thought, I'm going to have a relaxing few hours here, pick up my book, sit in one of the cushy chairs at Starbucks, and prop my feet up, and so that's exactly what I did. Um, I got there, and, and about 20 minutes in, I'm sitting there reading, and my, my feet are propped up on this, you know, this little table. I don't know what it's called, just a little table, small table. And, uh, and I'm reading. About 20 minutes in, though, I look and I realize that there's this big piece of toilet paper stuck to the bottom of my shoe, which is absolutely horrible uh, because I know, like, my shoe is, like, right there where everybody's walking by my shoe, and this toilet paper was kind of obvious. And so, of course, everybody thinks that I went to Starbucks, took, took a number two in the bathroom, and I'm sitting there reading, and I got toilet paper on my shoe. And so I'm totally humiliated, so I kind of, you know, casually try to... Um, you know, pull my shoe down and, and, and wipe it off on the floor and it wouldn't come off. So I kind of am working on it and then I kick it under the chair. But there's, there's nothing really more shameful than people thinking that you took a number two uh, it, 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 in a coffee shop, like a cute little coffee shop like, like Starbucks. And uh, I mean, if nothing else, that's like totally breaking the uh, rules of Starbucks etiquette. Uh, it's 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 kind of one of those unspoken yet ultimate rules of of Starbucks etiquette, and I mean you just don't go number two at Starbucks or a coffee shop unless it's an emergency, which is uh, I'm sure happens quite a bit because coffee is kind of like a colon cleanse on crack. Uh, but anyways, I casually lowered my foot and scraped off the toilet paper because I'm like I don't want anyone to think I just took a number two at Starbucks. Um, and and I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where it's just been totally inconvenient. Uh, maybe it was at a coffee shop. Maybe it was in class. Maybe you're kicking it with some friends. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you're out on a date where something just flips in your stomach and you just all of a sudden like have a very short window of time uh, to get in some place where you can appropriately uh, dispense of what's going on in your body. Uh, I've, I've got a, I, I had three roommates in college. Um, one of them, his name is Brian, and I hope he listens to this on the podcast because I'm totally putting my mom blast. But uh, he started dating this girl our senior year in college. So I'm like 22, 21, 22. Uh, he's a little bit older than me, so 22, maybe 23 at that point. And he's dating this girl. We already gave him a hard time because this girl's just now a freshman in college when they started dating. So we're like, you know, making fun of him for robbing the cradle and dating basically a high school girl. Uh, and uh, so we already gave him a hard time. But they'd been out on a few dates already. And they were going out on like the third or fourth date. And so, you know, we, we wanted to know how it was going. And so we were expecting after he went out on this date, which we knew he was going on, that he was going to call us and we're going to, you know, hear how it was. And so he goes out on the date with this girl, her name's Sydney. And, uh, and after the date, we called him or he called us. I don't know. We, we're, we're there, though, on the phone listening to him. And we're like, dude, how was the date? And it's like silent for a moment. And we're like, Brian, how was the date? And he goes, I pooped in my pants. And we're like, wait, 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 what'd you say? And he goes, I pooped in my pants <laughs> and I lost it. It was awesome. I'm like, you got to tell me what happened. And he's like, dude, so we're driving back. Like they were in Little Rock. I think it was over, I think it was over a holiday. So they weren't in where, in Arkadelphia where our school is. So they're in Little Rock and, and they're driving back to his house. And he said, dude, we're like 10 minutes from my house and something happened. And all of a sudden, like, I just had to go. And so he's like, man, I started speeding to my house and holding with all of my might. And he's like, dude, it, I, I didn't make it. He's like, I pooped in my pants. 
in the car with Sydney sitting right next to me. And we were like, man, that is so awesome. Uh, They're married today, so it worked out fine for him. But why do I share that with you? I, I, I really do. I share that for a purpose. And it's because of what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, I'm just going to go ahead and read verse, verse 12 through 14 here. And, and listen to this. Paul says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you all also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Here's why I share all that stuff. You go to Colossians 3, verse 12, and it reads this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. The word there that is translated hearts in Greek is actually the word splonknon. Everybody say splonknon. It's a weird word. I've been working on it all day. I still can't get it right. Splonknon. Now, why is that a big deal that that word splonknon is translated as hearts here in Colossians 3.12? It's a big deal because that's not the Greek word for the word heart. The Greek word for the word heart is actually the word cardia. And over 100 and I believe 145 times throughout uh, the ESV translation of the Bible and and most of your translations, uh, that word cardia is translated as heart. This word splanknon is only translated a couple times as heart and it's only done so to kind of lighten what the author is trying to say. Because the word splanknon in Greek is actually the word for intestines or bowels or your colon. Now I understand what the English translators are trying to do here. They're trying to take what he's saying and they're trying to make it more family friendly or clean it up a little bit. But it drives me nuts. Because if Paul wanted to say, have compassion in your hearts, he would have said hearts. He doesn't say that because he wants to paint for us an extremely vivid picture that will stick in our minds that we won't forget and that we will truly be able to look at that picture and understand the fullness of what he's saying. Because what he's really saying, he's not saying your heart should be full of compassion and meekness and kindness and forgiveness. What he's really saying is your bowels should be exploding with compassion and kindness and humility and meekness. And he's saying it should be uncontrollable. He He is saying it should be exploding out of you in such a way that anybody who's in your vicinity should be able to see it, feel it, and experience it. And what he's saying is, your insides should be bursting with these things. I love Paul. Because he could have used any illustration in the world, but he uses this one. And I love Paul because he could have used a clean illustration, a cliche sounding illustration, a normal illustration, but he doesn't. I mean, he could have said, your heart should be full of compassion and meekness and kindness and forgiveness and love, but he doesn't. Instead, instead he says, it's like when you have uncontrollable diarrhea. That's what it should be like. That's how much compassion, kindness, meekness, forgiveness, and love you should have. 
And Paul's not doing, I know I'm kind of making light of this, but the reality is Paul's not doing this to be funny. He's doing this to help us see something, to help us understand the extent to what he's talking about. And so I just want to start like with this. Are you? Are you exploding with compassion? I mean, he's speaking to the Christians in Colossae. He's speaking to us if you call yourself a Christian. So the natural question that comes out of this is, are you exploding with compassion? Is your heart tugged when you see people that are hurting, see people that are needy, see people that are suffering? Is your heart tugged in such a way or to a point that you can't resist ministering to them? I mean, does your heart feel the hurt of others, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you exploding with compassion? Are you exploding with kindness? Does encouragement flow from your lips or does hate and sarcasm? Are you exploding with humility? I mean, what, what, what types of things? Are, are you modest in the way that you talk about yourself? Better yet, are you modest in the way that you think about yourself? I mean, does it hurt you when you don't get the credit that you think you deserve? Does it hurt you when you see other people having success and other people getting recognition that you want? Are you exploding with meekness? Do you always have to have your way? Do you have to be the leader or are you able to follow? Are you able to sit in silence and let somebody else do all the talking? Are you a one-upper? Obnoxious. Are you a one-upper? Seriously. Are, are, you able, are you able to sit back and let somebody else have their moment and celebrate that moment with them? Are you exploding with patience? Do you have a short fuse? That word patience there literally means long burning. Some of these candles we've been using all semester long. That one's done. But most of these have been burning for like 15 weeks now. Long burning. Do you have a short fuse? Are you exploding with patience? Are you exploding with forgiveness? Are you able to forgive others because you recognize that you are in just as much need of that same forgiveness? And Paul's saying, are you exploding with love? Paul's saying, if you're a Christian, then this should be you. I mean, and back up and see really the full picture of what he's saying here. If you back up to chapter 3, verse 5, listen to what he says. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Verse 7, in these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. And he, he lists some more stuff. He says anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And verse 11 is interesting. I'll take a little side note here. He says, here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. As a complete side note to what we're talking about, I hope you hear what he just said in verse 11. He's writing this to the Colossian church, knowing it's going to be read in the Colossian church. And it's almost like as a side note, he says, I just need to remind you of this. In here, social status doesn't matter. In here, your background, family background, how you grew up doesn't matter. In here, your color does not matter. In here, your baggage 
And your past, what you bring into this room, does not matter because Christ is all and is in all. And that's huge, especially for us. Because you look around and there is a diverse group in here. And you have to see that where you fall on the social status scale does not matter. We've got a few wealthy people in here. We have more on the other end of the spectrum in here. We got people scattered all throughout. But that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter your major, your direction. That doesn't matter. Because Christ is all and is in all. The reality is, if you are a Christian, then Christ is in you. Now, if you're not a Christian, then the reality is, social status, race, all that stuff, that still doesn't matter. But it, matter, it doesn't matter in a different way than it doesn't matter to those who are part of the body of Christ. Because those who are part of the body of Christ, Christ is all and is in all. So going on, he says, he says put to death all these things. And then verse 12, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts or bowels that are exploding with compassion, exploding with kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I feel like in reading that section, there's two phrases that should pop out to you. You see them a couple times. Verse 5, he says, put to death. Verse 9, he says, put off and put on. In verse 12, he says, put on. Now, put to death is slightly different than the phrase put off, but it's meaning the same thing. The phrase put off and the phrase put on are opposites of each other. Put off literally means to undress. Put on literally means to dress. In college, my junior year, I, I, this is a little bit part of my, big part of my testimony, actually. My, one, of, one of my big transformational years for me when God just totally turned me 180 degrees was my junior year in college. And it happened basically between like October and February. And, and one of the big transformations is, and him beginning to prepare me for ministry is, I, you would never find me within 100 miles of a book. But then he just changed that almost overnight. Uh, I, I picked up a book by Claude V. King and Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. It's been around for years, and it's, it's a great book. I encourage you all to read it. But I read that book, first book in, I don't know, years that I actually read it all and finished. Um, and, and, and because of that, uh, I, I just had so much admiration for Henry Blackaby and the type of man he was and the impact he was having and uh, the leadership that he has. And his sons all are also in ministry. One of his sons, Richard Blackaby, has written some other books and is, and is uh, uh, leading in some big ways throughout the world. And I found out that Richard Blackaby was coming to our campus to speak, and my college pastor, his name's Kevin, asked me if I wanted to go with him to take Richard Blackaby to lunch when he came to our campus, which I was super stoked about that idea. I was like, heck yeah. I, I thought it was going to be a casual lunch, me and Ke Kevin going to a place like the Burger Barn, which was a burger place in town, and just sit around a table, us two, with Rich. And, and I was excited about this because you know how it is when you read somebody's book or you see somebody on TV, and they, they kind of become bigger than life to you, you know? And, and I know for me, I have questions I want to ask them that you can really only ask in person. Kind of ask them on the spot, see how they answer on the fly. So I'm super stoked about this opportunity. Well, the day that it came up, the day that it came up, uh, I, I'd kind of forgotten it was that day. And for me, a typical day of college was I would wear mesh shorts, you know, basketball shorts, and just a, a cruddy t-shirt, uh, totally wrinkled. Usually I wouldn't fix my hair, which I know I don't have a lot of hair, but I do get bedhead. 
And so like it's all just woo, going one direction. And I didn't shave much in college. And so I show up to the campus ministry office and Kevin's like, dude, you remember we're going to lunch today, right? With Richard Blackaby. And I'm, I was like, oh yeah, totally. Uh, I should probably go change. And he, he looks at me and he's like, no, you'll be okay. And so I'm like, are you sure? Like I should probably go change. I mean, uh, I should probably go change. And he's like, no, you'll, you'll be fine. So again, I'm still thinking we're going to the burger barn to eat. So I get in the car with Kevin and we go straight over to the president's dining room on campus uh, where we're being served this like four course meal. And it's not just me, Kevin and Richard Blackaby, the president of the university, uh, the dean of students, the dean of all these other schools of students are in there, all suit and tie. Kevin, aside from me, Kevin was the least well-dressed. He had khakis, a button-down shirt and a tie on. And I show up, Richard Blackaby's wearing a tie and a coat and tie all stuff. I show up in my mesh shorts, my uh, wrinkled t-shirt, unshaven hair going that direction. And I felt like a total idiot. <laughs> and I mean, that moment, I was really wishing that Kevin had told me to go and change my clothes. And as, as pastors, I think we're, we're so concerned with offending people. Like we don't want to offend people. And as pastors, we're afraid to say certain stuff because we want people to come back. And we want people to like our preaching. And so what happens is we don't address the seriousness and the severity of sin. And Paul is clearly saying, you need to change your clothes. I mean, listen to what he says in verse 5. He says, put to death, like literally kill it, execute it. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he lists some stuff. And look at this first list. He says, stop living in sexual immorality. That word there for sexual immorality is the word porneia. Sound familiar? It's where we get the word pornography from. And he's not saying to them, stop looking at porn, because they didn't really have that at that point. But they had plenty of sexually immoral things going on in their culture. Just like today, we have plenty of sexually immoral things going on in our culture. But look at what he says next. He says, stop living in impurity or filth, or uncleanness. Seven out of the ten times that this word is used in the New Testament, it's used in conjunction or in the same sentence with the word sexual impurity. So again, he's reiterating, stop living in sexual impurity. Then the next word he says, he says, stop living in lustful passion. He says, stop living in passion, pathos. Again, you know what he's referring to? Sexual Im- 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 immorality. And then you get to uh, the next where he says, stop living in evil desire. Again, referring to sexual immorality. And then the last one, he says, stop living in covetousness, which is idolatry. Or stop living in greed and exploitation. Now that could really refer to a whole gamut of things. But my guess is, and I think we take this in context and realize he's just listed four times, stop living in sexual immorality. My guess is right here, what he's saying is, Again, stop living in sexual morality. Stop coveting your friend's girlfriend. Stop coveting your friend's fiance or wife. Stop coveting your friend's boyfriend or, or fiance or husband. Stop living in this sexually immoral form of greed. Stop exploiting these women on the computer screen. Stop exploiting these women, these, these, these guys for your sexual pleasure. And he says it's idolatry. In their culture, sex was God. I mean, they literally had temples where they would go and they would worship the sex god through prostitution and having sex with these people. The reality is, in our culture, sex is God. We talked about this in the Bare Naked series. Sex is God, and though we don't have temples like they had them, we have temples 
For some of you, your temple is the desk where your computer sits. And you go worship sex as God at that computer. For some of you, your temple is your bed. And you worship sex as God in your bed. For some of you, your temple is the strip clubs. And I know we have people in here who are going to the strip clubs and are worshiping sex as God in those places. I mean, he's not shading what he's trying to say. He's being very clear in what he's trying to say here. And look at what he says next, verse 6. He says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Do you realize that if you're a Christian and you're continuing to walk in these things, you could be leading others straight to hell? Now, hear what I'm saying. If you are a Christian, you profess to be a Christian, and and, and let's say you're truly a Christian. If you continue to live in these things, you could be leading people straight to hell. Because listen to what he says next, verse 7. He says, in these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. And then he gives us a new list. Anger wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. You maybe have have been saved by Jesus, but others haven't. And the reality is, with our actions, we are always pointing at something. And you're either pointing people towards Jesus, or you're pointing people away from Jesus. And if you believe in what the Bible says about Jesus, and the Bible says about Jesus that he is the only way to heaven, then that means you're either pointing people towards Jesus and towards heaven through your actions, or you're pointing people away from Jesus and towards hell with your actions. Jesus says in John 13, 34 and 35, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. I mean, it's so clear in Scripture. Jesus makes it clear. Other parts of Scripture, it's so clear that we are, repre- are Jesus' representatives. We're his ambassadors. In other words, we are to point people to Jesus. And the question is, what are you pointing people to? I mean, there's nothing soft in what Paul's saying. He is urging them to change now. He's urging us to change now. This isn't, this isn't okay, I've been saved, I'm going to be changed later. No, this is an urgent plea, an urgent calling for us to be changed now. And remember Paul's prayer. We saw this at the very beginning. We've seen it all throughout this series. His prayer at the beginning, his whole reason for writing this letter is he wants them to grow in their knowledge of the gospel He wants them to be empowered by the gospel so that they can live a life worthy of Jesus. This is the whole reason he wrote this letter, and and this is where I think this whole letter begins to come together. Because all letter he's been talking about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We see see a couple weeks ago that Paul wants us to see how big Jesus is. And we saw how he points out to us it is impossible for us to experience Jesus, to encounter Jesus, and stay the same. It's impossible for us to encounter Jesus and continue on the same course. Last week we saw that you have been filled by Jesus. We have been circumcised by Jesus. We have been made alive through Jesus. And in chapter 3, he finally comes to this point where he switches from theology and focusing on who Jesus is, 
to now switching to more practical application. We've gone for four weeks of hearing over and over and over, this is who Jesus is, this is who Jesus is, this is who Jesus is. And it's not until now, week five, where Paul comes in and he says, dude, you absolutely have to change. And do you know why that is? Do you, do, do you, do you realize why he waits four weeks, in our case, to get to this place of saying, okay, you need to change? Do you realize why he does that? It's because our natural tendency, when we hear this challenge, okay, you have to put these things to death, and you need to put on these other things. Our natural tendency when we hear that challenge is, is we try to make a bunch of new commitments. It's like making New Year's resolutions. Well, I'm going to start getting up earlier. Every day, I'm going to get up earlier. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going I'm to set aside this amount of time to read my Bible. I'm going to start praying more. Or I'm going to seriously this time stop looking at pornography. Or seriously, seriously this time I'm going to stop sleeping with my girlfriend. In fact, we're going to put some boundaries up there. I'm going to stop doing this, or I'm going to start doing this. The problem, though, is just like New Year's resolutions, these new commitments, they never last. And they never bring the desired results that we wanted them to bring. And so Paul, he waits until chapter 3 to give us this challenge of, you've absolutely got to change because he doesn't want us to continue to fall into the same pattern of defeat. You look at what he says in chapter 2, verse 23. Backing up a little bit, he says, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, what he's saying is all these new resolutions and commitments, I mean, they're not terrible, but the reality is them, them in and of themselves, they have no value of stopping your indulgence and your sinful flesh. All of that is self-made religion. And self-made religion has no value in changing you. There is no power in self-made religion, but there is power in Jesus. And look at what he says next in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, if then you've been raised, which really, he's writing to Christians. And that word if, what he's really saying is since then, you have been raised with Christ. I mean, again, painting this picture we saw 16 times last week. One time this Sunday of college students being baptized. You look at verse 20 of chapter 2. He says, if or since with Christ you died. Then chapter 3, verse 1, he says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Again, we're seeing in this picture of baptism the reality of what's happened in our life if we're a Christian. And the reality of what can happen in your life if you're not yet a Christian. You die to your old self, you die to your old sin, you die to your future doom of death and eternity in hell, and you're raised to new life in Christ, something that only he can do in you. So verse 1 of chapter 3 says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Three times you see the word things, and they, they are categorized in two different things, things that are above, things that are on earth, that's significant. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I don't want to sound like a broken record player, but do you remember last week? We asked those questions, why, why is it that so many of us feel so empty? 
And if we're truly Christians, why do we feel so empty? Why do so many of us still struggle with the same sin habits that non-Christians struggle with? And why is it that so many of us seem dead? And you remember what the answer was last week? It was that the, the only answer is, if we are truly Christians, and that's something that's true of us, of these things seem, these, we seem empty, we seem dead, we, we're struggling with these same sin habits, the only thing that can be true is that our hearts have been hijacked away from Jesus. Our gaze has been hijacked away from Jesus. Our attention, our affections, our focus, our worship has been hijacked away from Jesus. So Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, he says, seek and set your mind on things above. He says, look up at Jesus. Let me ask you this. Have, have you ever, in, and I know a lot of you grew up in the city, so you may not have had this chance, but have you ever been in a place where <clears throat> there's not been a lot of city light, light pollution, and you've just been out where it's totally dark, and you ever just laid on the ground and looked up on a clear night at the sky? Isn't that awesome? I'll tell you, this summer, I took a group of students, I see one here, I, I took a group of students uh, to Zimbabwe, and we spent uh, all but two nights, we spent sleeping, not even in tents, just out under the stars. And we're out in the middle of nowhere, like wild animals and stuff. <laughs> and it was so cool, unbelievable, laying there on these clear nights and looking up. I mean, my mind was blown. I think it exploded on the inside. Because I had never seen so many stars in my life. And I'd never seen the Milky Way like that before. I thought it was just a candy bar. And I'm like, what is that? It's a Milky Way. <laughs> I mean, you're laying there, and every single night you're seeing shooting stars. And some of them would be so thick, and they would literally start on one horizon and go all the way across to the other horizon. You ever watch a shooting star like that? What? <laughs> and then this was the craziest thing laying there, and you'd start to see these satellites just rotating around the earth. And they'd disappear, and then you'd see another one. I'd never seen a satellite rotating the earth before. And I'll, I'll never forget the very first night that we were there. First night we're out there in the bush, and we, we were setting up our, our, our tents and getting everything set. And it had been dark for a couple hours at this point which means the stars had been out. Well, I guess they're always out. But the stars had been visible for a couple hours up to this point. But this whole time, the, these, these couple hours of being dark and the stars being visible, this whole time I was, I, was, I was preoccupied. I was moving around. I was getting our tent set up. I was fixing my dinner. Uh, I, was, I, was, I was moving around doing stuff. And then as part of that time, I'm sitting there by the fire. I love campfires. I could sit there and just stare at a campfire for hours and be entertained. And so I was sitting there staring at this campfire, totally being entertained, burning stuff, and I don't know, it was awesome. And then some of that time, I'm sitting there talking to some of our students and talking to some of the missionaries that we're there working with. But because I was moving around this whole time and because I was having these conversations, because I was preoccupied and distracted by this fire, I didn't see what was above me. And it wasn't until that night when I laid down to go to bed, got in my 
sleeping bag, put my head on my pillow. I, like, I, I think I even like sat up really fast. I was like, what? Like I was blown away by what I was seeing. It wasn't until the moment that I stopped moving, I laid down, and I looked up, that I saw. And in that moment, you know what I was reminded of? I was reminded of how small I am and how big God is. And I share that with you because I think this is such a perfect picture of what Paul wants us to see in this text. Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above. Self-made religion, it's simply us constantly moving around and comparing ourselves to things that are on the ground. When your eyes never cross this plane, all you're doing is looking at what's around you and who's around you. And the reality is, when that's all you're doing, then you're going to live in a constant cycle of pride and discouragement and failure to overcome sin and failure to be described as one who's exploding with compassion and kindness and all the other fruits of the Spirit or fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists here. Because what you're doing is you're moving around, you're looking at other people, and, and, and when you look at other people, you're going to see one of two things. You're going to see people that you're bigger than, or you're maybe further along than in your walk with Jesus, or you feel like you are. Or maybe you're more successful than they are. Maybe you have more money or better clothes. Maybe you're more involved in, in Bible Maybe you're a leader and they're not. And so you're going to look at that, and you're going to develop this false sense of pride in who you are and what you've accomplished. Or... What's going to happen? And it always, both of these always happen to all of us. The other thing that will happen is you'll look around, you'll see people, and you'll see they're bigger than you. And they're further along in their walk with Jesus than you. And they're more successful than you. They're getting more recognition than you. They just seem better off than you. And so what's going to happen then is you're going to develop this false sense of discouragement. And the reality is, when we live in this self-made religion, all we ever know is self-made religion. If all we ever know or all we ever do is look at the people around us, if all we ever do is look at the things on the ground, then we'll never discover or live in the full application of the gospel. But the moment we stop moving and comparing and we look up, It's in that moment that we realize, one, how small, how weak, and how inadequate we really are, but how big God's love, grace, and mercy is. So my prayer for you is, it's time for us to change. We have to change our clothes put off and put on. And my prayer for us is that we would be described as people who are exploding with compassion and kindness and meekness and humility and forgiveness and love. But the reality is, none of that can happen apart from us responding to this challenge. And the challenge is that we would simply seek and set our minds on things that are above. Stop moving. Lay down. 
and look up. Gaze into the promises of God. Gaze into the greatness of his grace, love, and mercy. Gaze into the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. Paul says in verse 3, he says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Look up at Jesus and gaze into what he's already done and what he's already accomplished for you. Let's pray.